Hello, this is Ricky Jones and Jonathan Dorst together with you again for another episode of From Sunday Till Monday, the podcast where we try to make our sermons as relevant as possible and apply them to your life on Monday through Saturday. So um, we're excited to get be here and talk about the sermon I did on confrontation on Sunday. So you ready to get started, Jonathan? I'm ready. It was a great, great month of August of taking... Q&A and uh, sort of listener-requested sermons, yeah. and uh, I thought you did a good job of, of handling different topics and then with Q&A. So. It's fun. I, you know, the funny thing is every year when we do this, people get shocked that I would do it, Yeah. and I actually think it's much easier than the normal job. It's, it's easier for me to answer people's questions than it is for me to study the Bible and come up with a sermon that I think is relevant. You know, it's like, if I'm answering your questions, at least I know you care. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was talking to a guy yesterday who they were church shopping last August. They came and you did a Q&A, and he's got three teenage boys, and they are all super impressed huh. that a pastor would take people's questions on the fly, and they quit shopping around. Well, and so they stayed. They're here. They're here yeah. I thought you were going to say it, so they never came back. Nope. Just kidding. <laughs> well, that's really encouraging. Thank you for uh, sharing that. I, like I said, I, I, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy knowing what people's questions are. So it's, it's easier for me than anticipating questions. Well, and uh, unfortunately, I missed your sermons on yeah. that because I was preaching elsewhere. So why don't you uh, just summarize what you preached about? Sure, I'd be glad to do that. Uh, the sermon was on godly confrontation. So the question uh, that was on everyone's mind was, in a world that is increasingly hostile to the church, how do we confront people about uh, their morals, their uh, their views, their contrary to Christianity? Do we do it in a public arena? How do we do it? And um, and so I really I, I tackled the Bible with that question in mind and I ended up, learning a lot from the Apostle Paul and from the Apostle Peter. And what I noticed uh, primarily from the Apostle Paul, the thing that stuck out to me was uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says, uh, he's talking about how to judge people within the church, what you should do when someone within the church is caught being sexually immoral and they won't repent. Uh, and then he has this line, it's almost a throwaway line, it says, uh, I'm not talking about people outside the church, uh, and he says, what business is, of, is it of mine what people outside the church do? Yeah. He, says, he says, God will judge the people outside the church, but, we, but it's our job to judge people inside the church. And I, I thought that was really interesting and kind of the opposite of what a lot of our practices have been. So the first thing I said to people in the issue, if, you're, if your question to me is, uh, how, do I, how and when should I confront somebody about their sin or about sin in general, uh, my answer is, first of all, remember what Christian confrontation really is. Christian confrontation is speaking the truth in love with the intention of moving the person closer to glory. And I, I think that definition is important. Uh, we, we speak the truth, we speak the truth lovingly with this intention not of proving that I'm right, not of uh, punishing them for being wrong, not of protecting our culture, not of defending uh, culture or winning an argument, but with the purpose of turning this person, moving this person closer to glory. And in order to do that, first of all, we have to check ourselves. 
before we wreck ourselves, as I as my students used to say. That's, that's right. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, like I tell my student, uh, my premarital counseling people, and as you do too, uh, the purpose of an argument is not to win. Yeah. The purpose of an argument is, uh, in a marriage, the purpose of an argument is to make your marriage better. Uh, in the same way, the purpose of a confrontation is not to win, but it's to move somebody toward Christ. Uh, so first of all, we have to really check our own motives. And secondly, we have to really see the other person. There's always things about that other person that you just don't know. Uh, one day, I'll never forget this. It was a really a, kind of a turning point for both me and Bianca when we learned an important lesson. She came home from a store where she was trying to get some embroidery done and uh, for a gift that she was really, you know, she, she had a deadline. She had to get this gift to this person by the shower. And she went every day to check and see if the embroidery had been done. And she was so mad. The store was closed at odd hours. And she was just really getting frustrated. And finally, she went and picked up the embroidery. And the lady who ran the shop looked at her and said, I'm so sorry. I'm sure this frustrated you. My, my husband just died of cancer and I haven't been able to get to it. Mm-hmm. And that was when really the, all the lights came on for my wife, and she realized, wow, these people have lives. <laughs> it's not just all about me. They, they exist. There's, there's a lot of story that I don't know. And yeah. before you begin to confront somebody for what you perceive as their sin, you, you need to take the time to get the whole story, and you need to just assume that there are things that you don't know. And then finally, when it, when it is time for you to confront uh, we need to do that in love, which means we do it humbly, we do it patiently, and we do it truthfully. And, and what I mean by doing it truthfully is that uh, Jesus is the truth. And so any confrontation should ultimately lead us back uh, to him. So that was my sermon, and uh, it was fun. And then I, it stimulated a lot of questions. Uh, and so let's let's get to those. That's great. You may, and you make a great point about Paul's words uh, of what, what right do I have to judge an unbeliever? I remember when I was in college, my pastor, I don't know if it was me, I can't remember if it was me or another college student, we were upset about students that were doing something immoral, drinking or something. And I remember him saying, why, why do you get angry when unbelievers act like unbelievers? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and in some ways, it's none of your business. You know, our job is to to speak the truth and love in the church. Yeah, and, and to be sad for them, and, and hope you know we got to try to get them to answer the right question. But as you and I have talked about many times before, you can't answer a question somebody's not asking. Yep. And uh, a lot of times, you know, our job is to befriend and love unbelievers and, and try to get them to ask the right questions. Yep. And then we can uh, begin to point them toward Christ. That's a great point. You know, and one of the things that. The question I get, I'm sure you get it too. I, I probably get this at least, well, it seems like I was getting it for a while about once a week, which was especially around the homosexual question. You know, if I have friends who are homosexuals, how do I love them? Right. And and the, the addendum always was, I want to love them, but I don't want them to think I approve of their lifestyle. Right. And uh, and so I, I, I read the Bible this week. I, I studied looking for it. I didn't see... The phrase, make sure they know you disapprove in the Bible. Um, I, I think that's a that's a red herring. Yeah. I don't think it's helpful. It's not. Um, first of all, you are not responsible for the assumptions other people draw. Secondly, people in our culture that I know live with so much guilt and shame. I think everybody walks around with a tacit belief that nobody approves of them. And so I don't really think you have to worry about that. And thirdly, especially where we live in South in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
everybody you run into has at least been to church quite often, several times. They know what the Bible condemns and what it doesn't. So I think it's much more important for them to know that you love them as you as you try to draw them toward Christ. Good. Well, let's let's jump into some questions. We have All a right. bunch that were sent in. And the uh, first question is, when, if ever, do we confront our loved ones, family and friends, about sin? Uh, well, that's a great question. Uh, and, I, you know, it's, it's hard to answer questions like this in the abstract. It is. Uh, you know, it, are they Christian? Yeah, are they Christian? Friends? Are they not Christians? Are, are they you know, and what is the sin? You know, and so um, let's take some obvious ones. If you have a family member, someone you love who's addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography, you need to confront them about any addiction because they're destroying themselves. Uh, if you have a friend, uh, especially a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, who's trying to, uh, quote-unquote, move you to the next level or encourage you to move this relationship to the next level, then you need to confront them right then and there and, and tell them no and tell them why. Uh, if they're trying to move you toward any other kind of sin, you need to confront them. If they're doing something self-destructive, you need to confront them. Um, especially if they're in the church, if they're doing something that's uh, scandalous to the cause of Christ, you need to confront them. You know, and the Apostle Paul says really, he, he talks about confronting people who are caught in sin. And I think that word is important. I think that it's a, a picture of being ensnared. Mm -hmm. uh, and that it's not, you know, sin is not just something that they do, but it's something they can't stop doing. And in those cases, he says, restore them gently. And uh, restoring is not simply a one-time confrontation, but it's usually a, a life <laughs> of walking with somebody. So in, in those kinds of cases, I, I think you confront um, but you always need to make sure that you know you do so gently and lovingly and patiently and listening to the story. It may be that you're the one in sin, uh, mm -hmm. and you may just be wrong. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think you're right. It is a hard question to ask or answer in the abstract. But I, I would say it's so dependent on your relationship mm -hmm. with the person. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was something really is something to the idea of uh, relational capital. Mm -hmm. Do you have the kind of relationship where you can speak the truth and love, and that person will really hear you? Yeah. There's something really to that. Me too. And I would also add, not only if the person is in danger, but if your relationship is in danger. Yeah. If someone is sinning against you in a way that is making it hard or impossible to be their friend, if, if they're offending you, if they're hurting their feelings. Uh, you know, Jesus says twice, uh, talk, uh, talks to us twice about the importance of being reconciled with brothers, uh, with other believers. Once he says, if you've done anything to offend another person, then you have to go to them. And then in another place, he says, if the other person is doing anything to offend you, you have to go to them. So basically mm -hmm. saying, you're not, I'm not letting you off the hook. If, right. if you and a, a brother or another believer are, uh, are unreconciled, then the responsibility is on you to go and, and seek reconciliation. So yeah. the, I, those are two clear cases. Uh, with other things, you just have to, I, I don't know, I would have to have specifics. Right. Okay, next question. Outside of truth and love, what is the most important quality to possess when a rebuke is necessary or a challenge is required in Christian relationships? Outside of truth and love, there is. <laughs> is there anything outside of truth and love? Those are pretty big. Those are pretty big. I, I, you know, I, I, I think I understand the question. I would say the most important quality is humility. Um, people do not want you to speak down to them. They, and they, they know if they're being patronized. They know if they're being 
looked down upon and being judged. And you really just need to examine your own heart and go into confrontations with a humble spirit, with with a clear understanding that I, I'm speaking here because I love you, yeah. and you've got to communicate that, and, that, and that's going to be communicated through humility. I am speaking to you about this because I love you, and I just don't want to see you hurt. That's good. I think I would say courage. Hmm. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about courage as the seminal virtue. It's the virtue behind all the other virtues, hmm. and and I think it's. It's true with truth and love. You have to be courageous to speak truth, but you also have to be courageous to love. And uh, without courage, all the other virtues are, are pretty weak. Um, hmm. That's interesting. That's a great point. All right. What, what next question? What if the person we are concerned about, for example, a family member, claims to be a Christian but does not appear interested in healthy, godly choices? Yeah, that's a real... That's a real difficulty, and I think that's a very common one that most of us, that kind of hits from where most of us, where we live, because, you know, the, like we said, like we said at the start, it's not our job to judge those outside the family of truth. Uh, it's not our job to judge those outside the church. But everybody in our culture, it seems, sometimes claims to be a Christian. Uh, I think, you know, that that question kind of answers itself. We, we have to go to them and say, look, if you are a Christian, then you have to start living like one. And if you're not, then stop claiming to be one. That's a very hard conversation to have, uh, but that's one that you have to have. Um, you know, I can point to times in my life when when people have, have rebuked me by basically saying, you know, that's not how a Christian talks. Why are you talking like this? You know, and, or... Uh, well, for me, my enslaving sin as a young man was always my tongue. And so several different rebukes about that same point. But, mm-hmm. you know, those were always very crushing rebukes. I remember, I mean, in a good way, you know, in a way that uh, stirred me up. It's like, right, I, I have to decide here if I'm a Christian or not. So, Here's a good question. If every time we speak to someone pushes them either to glory or damnation, did you say that in your sermon? Uh, sort of. I, mean, sort I was of. quoting C.S. Lewis. Okay. Weight of glory, and I was trying to explain what I meant by encouraging people toward glory. Okay, well, they say if someone, if every time we speak to them pushes either to glory or damnation, which sounds like a lot of pressure, how do we balance that with acknowledging that God is in control of saving sure. souls? Yeah, of course, God is in, in control of Satan, saving souls. We don't have to keep anything in balance with that. That is the truth. It's also true that our relationships are meaningful, and um, and so. When we, our relationship, taken as a whole, is probably better to view it taken as a whole rather than as a, in, you know, each individual episode. Our relationship is encouraging people in one way or the other. We're either uh, hardening their hearts or softening their hearts. We're either, you know, helping them move one step closer to glory or one step further from glory. Uh, I'm just trying to give, you know, some, some sense to that instead of, I, actually, I'm trying to take the pressure off. You know, it, you're not able to save somebody. Mm-hmm. They're on a journey. They're on a journey toward Christ or away from Him. Well, ultimately, God is the one who's going to draw them. If they're going to come toward Christ, it's because of His work. But your 
you know, God has given you a dignity, and part of that dignity is the knowledge that what you do is meaningful. Your words, your actions, your thoughts, they're meaningful, and they are moving people. And, and so I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I am just simply putting confrontation in a context of uh, meaningful relationships. You're, we can't just blow it off and, you know, be a complete jerk and say, well, I can be as mean as I want to to people and uh, I don't have to, you know, ever be nice. And if someone's sinning, I can just let them sin. It's not my job. If God wants to save them, that's his job. I mean, that's that's a, a complete obliteration of everything the Bible teaches us about the importance of loving our neighbor and, and being gracious and, and moving uh, towards them and, and speaking to them. And so uh, I'm just trying to put that into a context. Yeah, that's good. Okay, someone else writes, I love the idea of relational evangelism, but sometimes I shudder at how many people pass by without being warned of the coming wrath and offered the gospel. Are you saying that relational evangelism is still just our best shot of reaching our current culture and warning and loving people without knowing them is just not effective? Yeah, I think I am saying that, actually. Okay. Um, you know, I, I just, you got to remember that uh, you're not the only evangelist out there. And God has got uh, literally billions of evangelists in the country, in the world right now. Uh, he is at work, and we're working with him. Uh, honestly, I think uh, confronting uh, absolute strangers without knowing them and loving them, I mean, just think for a second what you're doing when you share the gospel, when you proclaim the gospel to somebody. You're asking them, to change absolutely every single thing about their life, yep. especially in this world where increasingly we're surrounded by Muslims and uh, Hindus uh, and people of other faiths. And you're, if you're asking them to consider the claims of Christianity, you're asking them to abandon their, their parents, their brothers and sisters, their friends, to, to move into a completely new, different life, uh, and, and to turn their backs on on centuries of family tradition, and, and you think it's appropriate to do that, uh, you know, in a, in a five second conversation without knowing them and loving them, and and offering them the church and a new family and a new home. Uh, I think that's just unwise, and I think it doesn't take into account the role of God's providence in people's lives. Um, so I, I would just encourage you to to love the people you're around. And uh, to view, you know, to view yourself as a part of a big story. And it might be that, you know, it might very well be that you have a five second conversation with someone and and uh, and they find out that you're a Christian and they, they notice something about you. And you, you think to yourself, you haven't done you didn't do anything for that person, but you're part of a big story where God's at work and, and introducing different people into that person's life and. And you're actually part of their salvation story, and you have no idea. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus didn't say um, anything about every single person who goes to hell. I'm gonna the, everyone for every one of your friends who goes to hell. I'm gonna add a lump of coal to your stocking or whatever. Well, I but, think I saw a video. Like well, that. there's a few videos video. like that. <laughs> but he did say, for every child you give a glass of water to, I'll reward you in heaven. Not to, not for every child that you sat down and explained the gospel to, I'll reward you in heaven. I, I think we underestimate the role of just 
uh, consistent love and kindness and an economy of God's uh, grace and an economy of God's providence and his overarching story. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe to be clear, you're, you're not saying we don't ever use sure. need to not use words. Of course right? not. That yeah. old preach the gospel on if, if necessary, use words um, that can be overdone. But I, I totally agree with you that the relationship is so important. Right? I mean, we see it in Jesus' life. Mm-hmm. How often was he having meals mm-hmm. with people and just spending time with people and then as they see his life and as he teaches them yeah. about the kingdom of God, they are attracted to him and formed into a community. And that's yeah. part of why I think relational evangelism is so important. I've seen so many ministries and even participated in some where it was just trying to get somebody to pray a prayer. Yeah. And then you just leave them cold. Yeah. And, and and that's not New Testament vision for evangelism. It is we're going to getting people into community, yeah, into the church, worshiping communities in yep. the church. Absolutely, and that's and that's why why I talk about corporate evangelism, uh, evangelism as a body, mm-hmm. and, uh, bringing somebody into this community. And it might be that your first you know, your first step is to make a relationship with them. Your second step is to bring them into a community group and introduce them to other people in your church. Third step would be bringing them to church where they're hearing the gospel, uh, and and they. And it's not such a radical drop everything that you've ever believed and believe something new this very second, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's a call to join this community and experience the love and the grace that's that's very real and alive here. Yeah. Okay. We got two more questions. Sure. First is a little lengthy, but I have a Christian friend at work who feels she must speak out against everyone or everything with which she disagrees. It puts me in a difficult place because even the times I agree with her, I don't agree with her outspoken condemnation. How can I and should I let her know that her moral superiority is a turnoff to Christians and non-Christians? Well, I think that is a case where confrontation is called for. Um, You know, she's a believer, so she's in the family of faith, and I you know, I think you, you go to her in, in a very humble spirit and you, and you talk to her about, uh, about loving your neighbor, about speaking the truth in love, which means it has to be done lovingly. You, know, you, you need to share with her uh, the teachings of, of Peter about um, you know, 1 Peter 3, when we talk about uh, having a good conscience and, and gentleness and respect that's how the apostle peter says we should confront people with gentleness and respect and uh and that means showing respect for people's opinions it means showing uh and showing respect for their their dignity as a, as a human and uh, i think you definitely need to confront that not only confront her about uh what she is doing to the to the uh, reputation of christ and christians but you need to confront her about just being a Christian. Uh, is she showing kindness, gentleness, and respect? Is she demonstrating the fruit of the spirit of, of patience and love and humility and gentleness? Um, you know, those are all things that I've been confronted about in my life. And, and you know, the, the words that really pierced my heart were uh, when I was, was told in a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson you treat other people the way you believe God has treated you. Mm-hmm. And I, I would talk to her about that. And I think you'll probably, if you really get to know this girl, this lady, uh, and, and talk to her about the gospel, I, I bet you'll find out that she doesn't have a very gracious gospel. She doesn't believe 
that God is very generous or gracious or long-suffering or abounding in tender mercies. And um, and I've got a great book you can give her. <laughs> I've read <laughs> called, that book. Called Too Good to Be True. But seriously, I think, I think if you could uh, really hone in on this on this lady's vision of God and and hopefully turn the topic toward that and and convince or show her that God's been much is much more gracious than she thinks he is. Yeah. I think that will change her to becoming more more gracious than she is presently being. Yeah, that's good. And I think practically you can also kind of come at it sideways a little bit. If you can if you can paint a word picture or a story where she can maybe look at someone like herself objectively. You know, Nathan does that so well with David. When David uh, commits adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan comes to him and doesn't directly confront him. He tells a story about mm-hmm. a man who uh, had a bunch of, was it sheep? Sheep, yeah. yeah. A bunch of sheep, and he steals this other guy's one sheep. And David gets so angry. You are the man, and mm-hmm. David is undone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm sure there's a way you, you, could, you could sort of picture her in a story she might be able to see it. Yeah. And that's why I think art is so important. Mm. Because movies, you can use a movie or a If only show. you had something about art you could share with yes, people. Yes, indeed. All right, last question. How do we deal with others who fear we are putting ourselves on a slippery slope, being around and befriending non-Christians? Well, you know, I think you answer the questions that are given. It's not your job to make sure that everybody approves of what you're doing. Uh, you need to keep your, cl- your conscience clear between you and God. And if you don't think you're sinning, and if God doesn't clearly say that you're sinning, then you know, some people are not going to be happy with what you do. Some people aren't happy with me and what I do. Um, and for years, I thought it was my job to defend myself in front of everyone and make sure that there was no one in the world who was upset with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I don't do that anymore. You know, I, I know that God is, is crazy about me. He loves me. And I love him, and uh, and I'm trying to love other people, and that's just kind of all I can handle right now. <laughs> so, I, you know, I would encourage you to keep your conscience clear, uh, not to do anything that is driving you to sin. And I think a lot of Christians need to remember that uh, what may be a real stumbling block for one person is not necessarily for another. Uh, some people are able to move in circles that others can't. Jesus spent time with uh all kinds of sinful people. We spent time with prostitutes. I, I don't recommend that for most Christian men, yeah. but Jesus was not uh, prone to sin, did not have a fallen nature, was able to show love to them. Um, you know, and, and he was constantly being judged. People called him a glutton, called him a drunkard, uh, assumed that he was sexually immoral because he allowed sexually immoral women to touch him. And, and he just wasn't worried about that. And, yeah. Uh, I don't think you have to be either. I do think if someone you know, confronts you, says, you know, you're spending too much time with unbelievers or whatever, I, I think it's always wise to ask questions, you know, to, to thank someone for being courageous enough to confront you, for asking them, you know, more questions. So how do you, how do you see that affecting me? Mm-hmm. Have, you seen my, have you seen me change? Do I appear to be a different person? Please share that with me. Yeah. Because we're always blind to ourselves. We never really know if we're being changed and and. If someone loves you enough to confront you, then receive the confrontation graciously. Don't just defend yourself. Um, so I would probably get probably get some more opinions. Sure, that's always a good, <laughs> a good thing. Just because someone has had the courage to confront you doesn't mean that they're necessarily correct, but sure. they could be onto something. Yeah. 
That's really good. Well, you've uh, spent another half hour with us. We thank you for your time. Jonathan, Dude. thank you for your time. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Is, uh, has your book hit the New York Times bestseller list? It, is not, it, it hit the uh, Amazon bestseller list for spiritual self-help books that you could read under two hours. So that's a pretty precise list. Self-help book. I would not call it Which it is that. the opposite of everything that I was trying to say. But uh, who knows? I'll, I'll take any list. And it, it hit it because we did a, a little promotion and sold it for 99 cents on Kindle. And because so, it's awesome. And Well, thanks. Uh, but uh, anyway, I hope people are finding it. I hope everybody who it could help finds it. And uh some friends or pastors are starting to give it away. If you are a pastor and you would like to give that book away, please email me. You can email me at info at riveroakstulsa.com, and I will teach, show you how you can get this uh, my book, Too Good to Be True, Christian Hope in a Hopeless Age, at a group discount. Uh, otherwise, please buy it on Amazon.com. And hey, if you're a member of River Oaks or have ever attended River Oaks, or even when it was back called Redeemer. This Sunday, we are having our building dedication service. Yes, 10 years and nine months in. We're dedicating a property. It's a great day, great yes, day. Yes, September 4th. September 4th. We're just going to have one service at 1030. So don't come at 9 for when we usually do first service. But I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about it. And so I hope to see you there. And we got work to do. So we're signing off. All right, thanks a lot. See you next week.